So tonight, uh, I wanted to, as much as we hate to talk about the rascal, uh, is we, we do need to address some issues uh, regarding uh, our enemy. You know, we have three outlined in the Bible, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And of course, um, we should know what the Bible teaches about our enemy. And so I've provided you, so, so I wouldn't have to have you come back and say, Pastor, I'd like to have those notes. So it's going to be a lot easier for you tonight. And believe it or not, uh, Lane was afraid when he saw these sheets. He told my wife, my goodness, Pat, we're going to be here all night. <laughs> but literally, I'm going to make some cursory comments as we proceed through. But I'm just going to read off what you have because what I'm expecting you to do is to study the Word on your own. At, at, you know, when you see a heading like the titles of Satan, which that's a strategic thing for him because he works in most ways according to the title of who he is. And so you need to know those things. So just keep that in mind. My goal tonight is not to expand on every verse. It's just to walk you through the outline. And uh, we may come back on another night. But we want to move toward the Lord's Supper in a few moments too. All right. Satan, of course, is a fallen angel. And he is, and place this in your mind and don't forget it, the greatest created being that God ever made. Okay? And you will say, where do you get that, Pastor? Well, scholars for years and years have taken Isaiah 14. You can make your way there. And they have read, beginning in verse 12, it is certainly explaining the king of Babylon, but in the background lies our enemy. And most scholars would believe that ultimately behind the king of Babylon is this greatest being that God ever created, as a, but, but became a fallen angel, of course. Uh, listen to the word. Verse 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. Above the stars of God, I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. And you know, when we read through this, we're thinking, all those Babylonian rascals did this, right? When you're preaching through Daniel, uh, earthly kings. But behind it is our arch enemy, the devil. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit... Those who see you will stare at you and ponder over you. Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook, who shook kingdoms, who made the world like a desert and overthrew its cities, who did not let his prisoners go home? All the kings of the nations lie in glory, each in his own tomb. But you are cast out, away from your grave, like a loathed branch, clothed with, slain, clothed with the slain, those pierced by the sword, who go down to the stones of the pit like a dead body trampled underfoot. So again... Uh, lurking in the background is our arch enemy. And I think it's clear that it's talking about the king of Babylon. However, so I think the Lucifer that is referred to in chapter 14 of Isaiah is identified as Satan himself. Okay? Did y'all know that was in the Bible? Most of you, if you've probably studied and thought about the doctrine of Satan, you, you've looked at Isaiah uh, 14. And uh, I think for sure... That this is the serpent. This is the one who sought to bring himself uh, as God. 
but was cast down. Now, let's look at our notes. Uh, the enemy, Satan, I'll give you a summary. Uh, there's the personality of Satan. Uh, he has an intellect. Matthew chapter 4. He has emotions. First Timothy, uh, first, yeah, first Timothy 3, 6. He has a will, Jude 9. Uh, and that will is what got him in trouble, correct? That he would exalt himself as God and be banished or cast down from heaven. He has moral responsibility. Matthew 25, 41. He, uh, again, uh, moral responsibility means he's going to be accountable for his actions. Ultimately uh, destroyed, annihilated in the end, according to the book of Revelation. Again, titles, second, are very important. And it helps us have insight into his strategies. Uh, the wicked one, Ephesians 6, 16. The tempter, Matthew 4, 3. Most of you will think about uh, the temptations of Christ. Uh, we know that he tempts us. Uh, the Bible says that no ma God tempts no man, but the enemy does. He tempts us. Uh, into sin. He is the prince of this world. John 12, 31. He is the God of this age. Well, we forget that sometimes, don't we? That title of his uh, dominion as far as what God has allowed him to do on the face of this earth. He's the prince of the power of the air. Ephesians 2, 2. He's the accuser of the brethren. Uh, don't think for a moment that the enemy... Uh, lies behind us or, or doesn't seek to accuse us. But aren't you thankful for the intercessory work of Christ? That um, when, when the enemy accuses us, uh, all we have to do is remind him that we belong to Jesus. And he is the one who intercedes for us, uh, as the Bible tells us in Hebrews. He's, just, he's the deceiver of the world. In Revelation 12, he will take flight to destroy the man-child, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're reminded there that he is the deceiver of the whole world. He is the prince of the demons. Matthew 12, 24 through 26. Uh, that's uh, 1 Peter 5, 8. Uh, let's read that one. It is a classic that describes one of his titles. If you'll make your way to 1 Peter. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 8. Be sober-minded, be watchful, for your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, lion seeking someone to devour. You know, uh, that's a, that, that title makes us stop and think that uh, he is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Uh, knowing our weaknesses... Sometimes better than we do. Uh, waiting to destroy, to devour. That's a, a title of our adversary, the devil. Matthew 13, 25 tells us he's our enemy. The scripture reminds us in John 8, 44 that he is the father of lies. Uh, not only to exalt himself above God, but just remember what he said to Eve. Hath God really said? Uh, he's a master of uh, Trying to get you to doubt the word of the Lord. 
And John 8, 44, he is a murderer. So those titles help us know, and again, you can study this on your own. He has a personality, intellect, emotions, will, and more responsibility. And he has these titles that are given to him in the Word of God that remind us of his tactics against the people of God. There are some pictures given of Satan, and they're not good, right? He's a serpent, 2 Corinthians 11.3. He's a dragon of Revelation 12.3-4. He is an angel of light. Wow, what can you say about this one? He looks like a good guy. Angel of light. I don't think, uh, again, I don't think he can read your mind. But I think he has been watching you enough along with his demonic forces. He knows your weaknesses better than you do. And he certainly knows where you're vulnerable. He's waiting to eat you up given an opportunity to do so. And an angel of light. Christians today are so uh, ignorant of the devices of the enemy. Because we don't know the word of God. And we don't really think about the fact that he, is, he masquerades as an angel of light. It can look really good. Right? I think his uh, line to Eve in the Garden of Eden looked good. Uh, I think uh, it was attractive to her. But an angel of light. Uh, that's the most deceptive one, right? We can certainly say that uh, he can make things look really good. Uh, but in the end, he's a liar and a murderer. He's a roaring lion. Again, that's 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9. And the typical references to Satan are, again, Isaiah 14, and we believe Ezekiel 28. So that's the personality, titles, pictures. How about the character of Satan? John 8, 44 tells us he's a murderer and a liar. Practically, all forms of evil grow out of those two major violations. A violation of the sacredness of life and the violation of the sacredness of the truth of the Word of God. Again, going back to Genesis 3. Hath God really said? Or to make Eve doubt the Word of God. 1 John 3.8 tells us that Satan's a sinner. Are you all surprised at that one? A sinner, the sinner from of old. He is the accuser of the saints. Revelation 12.10 and 1 Timothy 3.6 reminds us that he's prideful. That's the character. All right. Y'all are doing good. Limitations of Satan. Again, he is accountable. Uh, there's going to come a day when he will be destroyed. Uh, God will destroy that enemy. The Bible reminds us of the fact that, of course, he'll be thrown into a lake of fire for a thousand years. But after that, what happens? Complete, utter destruction of the enemy. So he's on a leash. And this is good news for us. And it's not long till neck popping time, right? Uh, because God is in control. Now, here's something that we don't think about. He is not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere at one time. And sometimes we, we miss this. We, we think that the devil's everywhere all the time. That's not true. Only God is everywhere all the time. Not the enemy. Now, he's got his minions. And he's got Ephesians 6. The principalities and powers in high places. We, we know that. But Satan is not omnipresent. If you look at Job 1.7, of course, he is confined 
to a particular place on the face of the earth, and he goes to the Lord, and he questions God about Job. And uh, what, what is so awesome about that is he gets no, uh, he can't work in Job's life without God's permission. He has to ask, he has to ask the Lord permission uh, before he can even sift Job, as, uh, as even with Peter. The enemy has requested that he sift you as wheat. And Jesus said, Peter, when you're converted, uh, strengthen your brethren. I, I prayed for you that your faith will not fail. So he is, as I've just said, he is not omnipresent. He is also not omniscient. He doesn't know all things. So we need to respect the enemy, but you don't need to give him too much uh, respect in that way. He's, he's not everywhere at one time. He's not omniscient. He doesn't know all things. He is not omnipotent. Uh, Revelation 12, 7. He is limited in his power. He can be resisted. Ephesians 6, 10 through 20 and James 4, 7. So just think about this for a moment. Our enemy is fast, but he's not omnipresent. Right? He is brilliant, but he's not omniscient. He can move faster than you can. He knows more than you know. He's stronger than you are. But he's not faster than God. He's not stronger than God. And he's certainly not more powerful. God alone is omni. Right? God alone is all-knowing, all-present, all-powerful. He's like a pipsqueak in comparison to our God. We, we fail to think about that. But that is, you know, remember, he was created by the Lord God. And he'll be destroyed by the Lord God. In comparison to me and you, he looks like a Goliath. But in comparison to the Lord, just a pebble of sand on the ground. In comparison to the Lord. So, uh, the health and wealth gurus out there often treat the enemy with a triteness uh, that uh, I think they bring to the table. Thinking that you can personally, yourself, bind Satan. Uh, that power is not within you. Uh, he'll mess your day up. All right? Uh, the, the fact of the matter is, the only authority we have over him is authority uh, because of Jesus Christ and him alone. It's actually his authority. And our strategy against him in the Bible, according to James chapter 4, is to resist the devil and flee to God. Um, I don't know about you, but I like to run to Jesus. He'll kick his backside every time, right? He will. And the Bible gives you those specifics so that you will do that. Uh, draw near to God, resist the devil. Or resist the devil and draw near to God. On your own, uh, against the enemy, uh, you're going to play the game of a fool. But that's not so with Jesus Christ. How about the power of Satan? Uh, Daniel presents demons assigned to geographical areas. Aren't y'all stoked about Daniel chapter 10? We're going to get there, but Daniel chapter 10 is about spiritual warfare. And just to think for a moment that there are geographical areas where the enemy has designed and placed his minions. That's a scary thought. Uh, I guarantee you there's a bunch of those rascals camped out in Washington. Don't y'all believe that? In Beijing. They're going to be at strategic places in the known world. And Daniel makes this clear when we get to Daniel chapter 10. Uh, I think there's a huge concentration in Beijing and Washington and London. Certainly, they want to be where they can have the most influence negatively. If they can control the government, folks, then they can control a lot of life. 
So, power of angelic realm, power over physical realm, power in the areas of human affairs, in hearts and thoughts. Now, again, I don't think he can know your mind, but folks, you are a creature of habit. And if the enemy sees, uh, let's put it this way. Uh, if he knows where you've got your goat tied, he can certainly get it. Right? And when you're in a pattern of habitual sin or you are uh, doing certain things, don't think for a moment he's not going to try his best to make those things ready avail- readily available for you. Uh, he, he's a master of deceit. And so although he doesn't know, uh, can't, he can't read your thoughts and your heart, he certainly knows the way you act probably better than you do because he's watched you. So in the hearts and thoughts, uh, in government, in spiritual realm, in the church. Y'all know the enemy works overtime in the church? Just think about that for a moment. Uh, a little leaven, leaveneth the whole lump. Um, we're reminded of the sin of Achan in the camp of God. Uh, we're reminded that, uh, you know, if here's the thing. I believe... That First Baptist Church of Ozark has become a threat to the enemy. Now, there are some churches that are not a threat to the enemy. Uh, but when you decide to preach the word uh, expositionally and faithfully, and the members want to hear the truth of God's word, and we start uh, taking the gospel to the ends of the earth and, and, and doing the things that we're doing, well, we become a threat to the enemy. And that's a good thing that uh, he, he wants to attack. Uh, churches that are doing it right, uh, but just go ahead and be ready for it, right? Here's what you need to do. You need to be mindful that we have an enemy, and if he can get into you uh, with attitudes and actions and divisiveness and unforgiveness, then he can damage the body of this church. Don't you think he delights when Baptist churches split, especially over the truth of God's Word? I mean, we are so naive at times. We just fall straight headlong into uh, choosing sides. I mean, think about that. Most churches are uh, fighting, been fighting, or choosing up sides, getting ready to fight. And that's so true. But that's not the way God intends for it to be. And the enemy certainly knows that if he can get a foothold, as the Scripture reminds us, somewhere in the, in the church or in, in the body. Uh, think about this. God all, uh, the enemy also puts, wheat, puts tares among the wheat. Did y'all know that? Have you ever read that? A tear can never become a wheat, and a wheat can't be a tear. But look, the enemy puts tares among the wheat. So there's no question that people could come to this church and look like the real thing. And then began to teach in a class and began to teach something contrary to what the Bible says. I've been in churches where this happens. So don't be foolish to think that we shouldn't be on guard and we shouldn't watch uh, and be mindful of the truth of God's word and the fact that we have an enemy that would like to infiltrate the church. And so he is also, in human affairs, in death. You know, provided God allows. Um, the program of Satan, the counterfeits. Uh, he can take, i.e., sex. In the confines of marriage, it is one of the most beautiful things that God ever gave us. I say amen for the gift, right? Praise God for one man and one woman, right? That's a good thing given to us from God. However, the world, the devil, has its counterfeits. Sex outside of marriage, transgender, homosexuality. Those are counterfeits to the real gift given to us by God. 
Amen? The enemy has his counterfeits, and we sometimes are oblivious to that because it just really doesn't sound like we're woke and kosher in the world if we can't accept everything, right? Well, the Bible tells us what God's desire is, what God's mandates are, what God expects, what His laws are, but the enemy has his counterfeits. Is that not true? Uh, he's a slanderer from the beginning. He slanders God Almighty and the people of God. He attempts to destroy the work of Jesus, 1 John 3, 8. He deceives, Revelation 23. He blinds minds and spiritual eyes. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 4. Satan hath blinded the eyes of those, lest the glorious gospel. Uh, so, accuses, hinders, sows tares. I said that, didn't I? Incites persecution, tempts us to sin. Um, remember Ananias and Sapphira? You allowed the enemy to tempt you. Withholding, lying to the Holy Spirit. Uh, seeks to establish a permanent kingdom which supplants and coexists with God's kingdom. In so doing, he employs certain devices. And again, back to that principle. If we're not threatening him, he sure is not going to mess with us. Uh, if, if, if we're not doing something for the king, you know, we're, we're probably not going to get much demonic resistance. But once you do, then he doesn't like that. Uh, he focuses attention on God's restrictions. He tempts us to doubt the goodness of God. He presents attractive counterfeits to God's will and true worship of piety and religion and money and position and prestige. He focuses attention on the present, not the future values of eternity. In other words, just live it up. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die, right? That's his line. Uh, but he doesn't, remind, he doesn't want to remind you that we should lay up treasures for ourselves in heaven, uh, where moth and dust can't corrupt. All right? Our attitude toward Satan, never underestimate him. Jude 8 and 9. Never overestimate him. Like we might say, he is brilliantly stupid, right? There's no question about that. His doom, as Martin Luther would say, is sure. That's good stuff, right? But be on guard against his attacks. Our enemy like a roaring lion. Uh, be sober. Be vigilant. Do not invite his attacks. Ephesians 4.27 Be aware that God uses Satan. 2 Corinthians 12.7 Be aware of our defenses against Satan. It is the finished work of Christ. They and our testimony, uh, Revelation 12, 11, they loved not their lives even to the end. They overcame him by the word of their testimony. Y'all have read that in Revelation 12, 11. Be aware of the intercessory work of Christ. Aren't you thankful for John 17, 15 to know that we're in the world, but we're prayed for by the Lord. Be aware of his tactics, 2 Corinthians 2, 11. Uh, be on defense. Be aware of the defense provided by humble submission to God. James 4, 6, and 7. Let me read that just to honor the word of the Lord and what James had to say to us. Chapter 4, beginning in verse 6. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. You know, that word, submit, is certainly not a popular word in our world, is it? But there's so much freedom and glory in that word, submitting ourselves to God. You can literally trust Him, that He knows all things, 
that all things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to, to His purpose. You can submit yourself to Him with full trust. Um, be aware of the defense provided by firm resistance to Satan. Uh, resist him. Draw near to God. Be aware of the defense provided by employing the spiritual armor. Uh, Ephesians 6, 10 through 17. Uh, I hope you've read this. I hope you think about our armor. Uh, you know, we tried to correct helmet malfunctions this morning, right? Helmet of, say it. I mean, if you don't have, if you have your helmet on backwards or to the side, or it's not on the way it's supposed to be on in battle, the helmet of our salvation. Think about that, folks. You need to know what you believe about salvation, to know that you're saved, and to not move away from the gospel. Again, we, we, we reiterate that all the time. The gospel is not something you just dealt with 30 years ago and you forget about. If you're not taking care of it now, you probably didn't take care of it then, right? We're called by God to live the gospel every day, right? If you truly trusted Christ, if you were truly regenerated, then you never move away from the gospel. And thus, we need that helmet of salvation. So, that armor, uh, we may preach through that one day in the future. But one part of that armor that's kind of tacked on the end is be aware of the defense furnished by prayer. Uh, again, Daniel's prayer... Uh, is, is, a, is a good one for us to think about. Uh, the prayers in the Bible where we are trusting God and we're resisting the enemy. Our response towards Satan, be strong in the power of his might, Ephesians 6.10. Put on the armor of God, stand firm, take up the defense of offensive weapons, Ephesians 6.13. Our resistance towards Satan, declare your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a good thing to do. I know Nat and I have practiced that before when we feel like, you know, by the way, the scripture says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. So the real battle is not when you have a knockdown drag out with your spouse or your kids. Now, the Bible, I mean, that's pretty clear. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but principalities. Uh, they're all plural, the plurality of the enemy. So we need to be mindful and, and, and you know, sometimes it's just an onslaught of demonic warfare. And we need to pause, especially as men, and take the authority of where God has placed you in that home. And we may need to declare out loud, our faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ. We openly acknowledge Him as Lord and Master. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12 would remind us that no one can say that Jesus Christ is Lord unless the Spirit leads Him. Right? So we need to declare, Jesus Christ is Lord of my life, of this home there's something to be said about that. He's the very one who conquered the powers of evil on the cross of Calvary. We need to remind the enemy, you're a defeated foe. We stand redeemed. I mean, he, just think about, we saw this in Daniel. Uh, he, he destroyed the works of the enemy. He's translated us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. Uh, you understand that Jesus was for you in the gospel, Right? Uh, to put you where you are. He's our master. Boldly deny any and all allegiance to Satan, his demonic host, and his world. Again, if you let him know where you got your goat tied, he's going to get it. He's going to get it every time. I mean, how many times have we said, if on this trip we have a flat tire, we're just going to, that's just going to be it. Or if this washing machine does this one more time, I'm just going to lose it. We throw that out in the air, don't we? 
I can, rest you, I can guarantee you the enemy will try to do something to flatten that tire. Right? If he knows full well, we're, you know, and we're like that in our thought life, and uh, we're, we're at times so uh, lacking trust in the Lord and his sovereignty that we just throw things out into the air. You need to be careful. And finally, submit to God, resist Satan. All right, uh, very quickly at the end, who are demons? There are some that believe that demons are the spirits of a pre-Adamic evil race. Um, <clears throat> where does that come from? Well, some people believe <clears throat> that there was a pre-Adamic race that was made before Adam. And they existed on the face of this earth. And I say that's hogwash. All right? And people would say, well, the pre-Adamic race, when it died off, those spirits uh, are now demons. No proof of that. No biblical support. Some say it's the spirits of evil men, no biblical support. Some say it's the product of angels cohabitating with women in Genesis 3, 1 through 4. No evidence whatsoever that an angelic being can procreate with a human. Uh, we talked about the sons of God out of Genesis 6, 1 through 4. Fallen angels. I think that's what the Bible teaches us, right? That's who demons are. Uh, what about demons? Well, possibly one-third of the angels fell with Satan. Revelation 12, 4. We know that some are free to roam now. Mark 1, 21 through 34. We know that some will be free to roam during the tribulation time. Revelation 9, 3 through 13 through 19. Some are confined now never to roam. Uh, we read that verse, 2 Peter 2, 4, which some are bound in chains. Aren't you thankful that all of those rascals are not loose? Jude 6. They are powerful but not omnipotent. Mark 1, 24. Their activity may have increased during the time of Christ, and it may again increase in the end times. <clears throat> I don't believe in dispensationalism at all, <clears throat> but I do believe in epics of time. For instance, uh, miracles were more prevalent in the times of Elijah and Elisha. And then you have a lull, and then you have uh, the time of Christ when there was the manifestation of signs and wonders in the, in the life and ministry of Christ. And then in the book of Acts, you have that going on with Peter and Paul and the apostles. And then you have a cutoff of that. Uh, and there are reasons for that. But similarly, there's more, there has been more demonic activity on the rise at particular times in history. And we know that's going to increase, increase as the days go by. They are set up under Satan's control, probably in rank and possibly geographically, according to Daniel 10, 10 through 12. They have authority and can promote disunity, false doctrine, inflict disease, cause mental difficulties, and hinder Christian growth. Demons can oppress, but do not possess believers. And uh, I think that's kind of been the thing that people have asked through the years. Can a believer be demonically possessed? Well, if you're possessed by the Holy Spirit of God, no. But can we be oppressed? Well, I would say to you that you all have demon trouble. So do I. You certainly have demon trouble because they're all over this world and they're, they're doing exactly what the Bible says under the Satan's rank uh, and they're going to harass and they're going to try to do their best uh, to steal your joy. They're going to try to do your be their best. To, they can't get your heart, but they can certainly try to make you less in God's kingdom than you ought to be. They can certainly try to keep you from doing what God would have you to do. All right. Well, I want to remind you that Dr. Patterson used to talk about Satan is, is a lot like 
a West Texas copperhead. And what do we know about that? You can cut that rascal's head off, but if you walk over there near it within a certain amount of time, you can get bitten. I mean, he's dismembered from his head. Don't you love it when it says, he shall crush your head? The Lord Jesus has already crushed his head, but I'm telling you, the rascal will still bite. He's still, you can, you can dra- we've killed him before and stomped their head and laid him over a clothesline or a fence post and you can come back hours so the sun goes down and that thing's still moving, right? So that's the reminder of our enemy. Uh, he, the death blow has been given, right? But he can still bite you. 